You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey everybody, welcome to episode 22 of That's Awesome Pod with Joe. Just a short update this morning. Uh, just me today, no Josh. Josh was pretty busy this week, um, but he has been working on a ton of stuff in the background, so expect some new things coming shortly. Um, today on the pod, actually, let's go into what's actually going on this week with me also. Um, I want to thank everyone who uh, purchased tickets to the Silver Stream, which is Ice Nine Kills live stream movie event that's airing later on today if you're listening right when this comes out and is also available tomorrow. That's Thursday and Friday. Uh, super cool stuff. We did some pretty unique things, I think. So I'm excited for everyone to see it and um, chat with everyone in the live chat and stuff like that. So that's what we've been working on. Um, lots of other stuff coming as well. Um, for all the projects that I've been involved in, some new music, not for Ice Nine, but some other projects that I've been working on as well. Um, so yeah, lots of stuff going on. But today on the podcast, we have Alex Mungle. Uh, Alex is very talented. He's a lighting director in the music scene, and we actually met from him actually joining Ice Nine Kills team and providing lights on the Octane Accelerator Tour for those of you that have come out to that tour or that show, you know how talented Alex is with creating the atmosphere and the scene and all that stuff. Alex has background in the music scene as well as theater uh, as well, and he kind of combines those two things. So it's a really interesting episode. We talk a lot about uh, how he got started into it, how he uses the different elements of what he's learned to kind of mix it together um, to create a really cool experience. We talk about the tech part of it as well and how people can kind of get started in doing that. So I think it's pretty cool. Um, lighting in creating that atmosphere in a show has always been something that I'm super interested interested in. And it, it really does like take a show to a whole different level, especially when it's something really cool and unique. So this is an avenue that I was really interested in. And I, to be honest with you, wish that I had known more avenues to kind of get into that scene as I was growing up or, or getting interested in the music scene. And hopefully if there are people out there that are interested in this side of the music business, this episode can give you some insight on how it's possible on, and on how Alex did it himself. So I think it's pretty cool. 
Uh, yeah, so without further ado, let's send it on over to Alex. Can you feel the hair stand on the back of your neck? Can you feel your heart beating right out of your chest? Okay, we're in. Hi, Alex. Hi. All right. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. I feel like it's actually overdue because we've been we've been talking about it for a while. I know. I'm the Um, long awaited guest. But it's a long awaited guest. And actually, you're like one of the more active people with um, (laughs) like the people that listen to this podcast, too. So thank you for for being active and sharing all your knowledge and inside stories about stuff. Of course. To people that are asking. Hey, I mean, if the I actually always know, find I'll that interesting cool too, things. because I never, yeah, I, I never get to hear that stuff uh, because I'm always getting my makeup done or something. So <laughs> it's fun for me too. Um, but for those people that don't know, uh, why don't you, uh, if you don't mind, kind of just giving people a little intro to you and what you do. To what I do, I am the lighting designer. And programmer, operator, everything of Ice Nine Kills, Asking Alexandria, and a few others. Basically, I make the crazy light shows and blind everyone or make the boys look better than they already do. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so let's, what I want to, first off, I, I, I want to just kind of elaborate on that with you just for a moment. Because I don't think that people really understand, like, how much of an impact it actually has and not only that like where that craft kind of comes from and everything you know what i mean right um so so i want to like first off say like (laughs) i can't imagine having ice nine not have some sort of lighting with it right just because the show at this point would be so lacking without it especially after the last tour that we did it it was like it was the difference maker in the live show between that and you know what we were doing before so i think like and for people that saw that tour i think they'll agree like that is it's such a huge huge difference in the performance absolutely i mean the 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 lighting kind of captures the mood of the song what the vision is if it's you know in in respect to ice nine kills it's all movies so i'm trying to pull in themes from movies references to certain things or if it's just something as simple as just doing a big rock show moment then we do a big rock show moment but it just sets the Mm -hmm. mood and the tone for both the audience and the band members as well so that they can kind of drift into their zone and kind of be comfortable it also you know when you guys are playing a 19 song set you're able to do less strenuous activity while there's strobe lights yeah. going off. And basically, you know, yeah. you can look more intimidating, bigger, badder, 
while doing a little bit less 100%. and kind of take a little bit of that load off you guys so you can last a little bit longer on you know a two-month tour yeah that's huge and i actually didn't realize that until um you know we did that tour with you is that like you know well, it's not even not even like you're absolutely right that I get more, you know, breathing time or whatever. I don't have to do as much crazy stuff to have people's attention because the lighting uh, takes care of a lot of that. But it also buys a lot of time, like even in between songs. Right. Having the lights go down and everything. It's it is like it's more than just it being dark. It It is like this weird effect of kind of like building anticipation and stuff like that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's really cool. But what I want to do today is kind of go into um, how you got into it, where you got your start and, and just kind of progress through like a timeline um, and, and kind of end where we're at now and everything. Um, I think it's it's I, I actually have asked you a lot of these questions before, too. Um like, you know, where did you start? How do you get into something like that? And, you know, I don't even think people know what it is that a lighting director does, like as far as in the moment, like the tactile movements that you do, how is it actually controlled? What is it that you do ahead of the show and stuff like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> we'll start, we'll start with a little history then. Um, essentially, I, I started in like, if we're looking specifically at lighting, I started lighting in high school, um, just doing, you know, in drama class. And when we put on a production, I do the lights for it. The first show I did was absolute garbage. I mean, it was a warm wash. Then there was a cool wash. Then there was a blue light that came on for this big dramatic scene. And then it was warm wash and a cool wash. So like nothing crazy compared to the current day, but that was kind of my start, especially with theater. Um, got it. But I mean, at the same time, I also started as a musician. Um, mm -hmm. that was like right out of high school. I was touring, uh, that was as, as a drummer. drummer, just, you know, with various like hardcore bands and stuff like that. Um, you know, just how long the, did you do that? I did, I did that for a while. Um, maybe five or six years. It, it wasn't anything crazy. Um, it wasn't like a lifelong career of drumming and playing the crowds or anything like that. It was, you know, five or six years playing with smaller bands that were either the opener on a mid-sized tour or the sort of headliner on a small tour. What were the bands? You mind? Uh, sure. I mean, I'll say one of the, the more... Was it just, were you filling in or were you like in the bands? Uh, I was always a fill-in. It's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm Canadian, so it's tough for me to play in the U S with a band that's established mm -hmm. from Canada. You know, the, the bands that are actually able to tour solid in, in the U S have already got a little bit of a name. And so at the time when I started, I was not a fill in. I was, I was a member. And then I moved from that to wanting to play more shows and tour with more bands. So I was just a fill in, you know, so-and-so's band didn't have a drummer of this tour. So I hopped on and helped them out. Um, Understood. So it was kind of a mix of member and fill in, but mostly fill in. Um, one of the main bands that I toured with for a, a bit was a band called Behold the City. They're from Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, That's like Christian hardcore, Christian melodic hardcore kind of thing. There's like a lot of that in Toronto, isn't there? Uh, no, I wouldn't say. 
No? Why do I feel like there is? There, Maybe there, I just think there was a, a lot Christian of like scene bands. in Toronto, but I, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of melodic, hardcore Christian bands from Toronto. <laughs> is there like a city in Canada that's like, you know how like Ohio for a while was just the Warp Tour capital of bands? Yeah. Like anything on Rise Records is coming out of Ohio. Was there is there like a city like that in Canada? I mean, you're you're looking at probably Toronto or Montreal. Those are kind of the staples. That's that's where everybody kind of stops. I can't think of anyone who's from Montreal. I mean, you, you got like this for for bigger bands. You got like Despised Icon and and stuff like that. Oh, that's which right. that that that's a decently sized band. You just from Toronto. You got like Alexis on Fire. Right. There's a bunch from Toronto. There, there's like, a bunch from Toronto yeah. from that area and. Um, God, why can't I remember some of those bands? Wasn't it like Abandon All Ships from there and yeah, stuff too? Abandon All Ships is from Toronto, yeah. That's right. All right, anyway, sorry. Go on. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just kind of, I while I was doing the whole touring thing, um, again, being from Canada, it's tough and also very expensive to be paying for visas and the paperwork to actually legally tour in the U.S., Um, Mm -hmm. so a lot of that kind of built up with me that it was like, okay, I can't really afford to do this. And then there was a, there was a tour a long time ago now, now I, I I think it's a long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago, um, that I did with a band that we broke down in, I think it was Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. Yes, it was Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. Um, (laughs) and we were there like Where wait, waiting for our van to is come that back near anything what's that is that near any major city no no it definitely isn't <laughs> <laughs> we were we were stranded for about 10 days um waiting for parts to come in to fix the van that we were in so we were staying at some guy's farmhouse and just hanging out and it was a it was a time for a week and a half oh yeah <laughs> i've done that it's uh it's awful. It's interesting. I mean It's boring. It, well, it, it was it was an interesting time, but it was definitely boring. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually think we had an, I had a similar experience in Pennsylvania, like in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and it was like a snowstorm and this woman at Panera said that we had to we she wanted us to come back and stay with her at her house because she thought we would be unsafe. Cause it was so cold <laughs> and there's this like this really sweet old lady. And then she came, she had like a separate barn with all these bedrooms in it and stuff. And then she came in with like boiling water and was like, do you want to see what happens when I throw it in the air? And it would like disappear. <laughs> <laughs> Just one of those like weird people that you meet on tours, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No. All um, right. So yeah. Yeah. Go on. Oh yeah. So, so we went from like, you know, being stranded to eventually I got home and I was exhausted and my morale was at an all time low. And I kind of, I was like, okay, I can't do this. I can't tour like this. Like I, I gotta be doing bigger tours or not at all. And then it was kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't afford to be doing that. If I lived in the U S it'd be different. Or if I was just touring in Canada, it'd be different. But the fact that I'm already right. paying hundreds of dollars just to be there, to make no money and end up, you know, in debt because of a van. Right. That's just doing it for the experience. Yeah. And I, the, the experience was great and everything that I've gone through has led to now. So I, I don't regret any of it, but at the time it was, you know, I, that's not where I wanted to be. That's not what I wanted to do. And so meanwhile, 
I was also doing tech stuff. You know, I was doing audio and video at the time. And, you know, the bands we were on tour with, you know, if their mixes were bad, I would just hop on and do audio for them. And when we were home, I was working for a resort doing just AV stuff, typical audio setup, plugging some mics and, you know, mm-hmm. the odd, it, it was a Christian resort. So we were, you know, working with Christian bands that were coming through, which were all super easy to work with. Um, everybody was, you know, they treated everybody like a beginner, which was good because I was at the time. Um, and you were just like running cable and stuff. Yeah. Running cable, plugging in mics and stuff like that. And, uh, like I, I wasn't the front of house audio engineer by any means, mm-hmm. but you know, if somebody needed, you know, this microphone turned up, I knew how to do that. Right. Got it. But so you're like a stage hand plus essentially, essentially. Yeah. I was a stage hand that kind of knew how to operate the console, but was not allowed to touch it because the big mean man would yell at me. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay, so you're doing that kind of stuff. You're getting experience there. You've kind of decided at this point you're not really into the idea of touring. Yeah, sort of. I mean, t- touring once you once you start touring, you can go through hell and back, and at the same time, you still crave it. You still want to be out there and doing stuff. And yeah. whether it's performing or not performing, you still want to be out there. It's just it's an experience that kind of grows on you. And so while doing that, I was kind of you know, debating, should I go back on tour or what if I just did tech? What if I just went out and did audio and the, the people I'd have to compete against in the audio world was just immense. It was, it wasn't worth my time. Mm -hmm. And so I started pulling up my old experience doing lighting for high school and theater and stuff like that. And kind of went back into the theater world away from rock and roll and metal and all that stuff. So I stayed kind of in the theater world for a while. How did you get your, how did you kind of start doing that? Um, well, I worked for uh, just not a community theater. It was like a, a city theater um, in Toronto, um, just in uh, the city of Markham. And basically started there doing the same kind of thing, wrapping cables and setting up lights and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, trying to learn. And at this point, I was kind of like, okay, I, I really want to do this kind of thing. So what can I do to better myself? And, oh, you should learn how to operate a console. And I knew the basics of, you know, the easy, cheap consoles that happen to be at venues when we pass through. But right, I didn't right. know how to like use the a push big, the button crazy... ones and it does like a run. Yeah. 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 So, so I basically read a bunch of manuals, watched every YouTube video I could find to learn how to use certain consoles. When you say console, can you kind of describe uh, what that means? Like a and, controller. And how it's so this is this is the computer or device that basically runs the light show. Um, yeah. Whether it's you know buttons and executors, or if it's faders, or you know, just well, why are some different than others? Uh, it all comes down to software, um, what your personal preferences are. Um, some people prefer, you know, there's ETC EOS, which is uh, what I started on, um, which is more theater based. So you're looking at more cue based type shows where you're building a look and recalling a look versus okay. something like, you know, a Grand MA or an Avalites console where you're using more triggers and executors to fire things to make them happen real time. Um, okay. Basically the so difference one is, is more one's, one's more theater, one's more rock and roll. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So interesting. So is that like the same difference as like, I mean, I know it's, I, I have no idea actually, but like when people say like logic versus pro tools versus Cubase and all that, it's like kind of the same idea. Yeah, that That's comparable. Okay. Cause those are like, some of those are, are so different. Like you just can't just sit down and use them like you could others, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's the same with me and lighting. I mean, I know the basics of probably any console. Um, mm-hmm. at any point I can walk into a venue and pick up a console and make it work. Um, mm-hmm. but there are consoles that I gravitate towards because of what I've learned and what I'm good at and what I, you know, mastered, but I didn't right. master it. I've never mastered it. <laughs> <laughs> but did you start working on those, those consoles that were more theater for theater? Yeah. I, I started with more theater based stuff. Um, which is kind of where I built my looks and learned, how to be, you know, theatrical and capture a moment on stage, uh, which is the base of theater. You know, you're putting on a show and you need to capture people's emotions and, you know, what they, what, what we're supposed to pull them in to see, you know? So how do you like, how do you learn that? Is that like working with someone and kind of following them or like, cause I would imagine that if you're, watching a play or whatever and there's no lighting and you can you can kind of sculpt how you want the emotion of the play to feel yourself as a lighting director right yeah but but i does the director give you like massive input to that stuff yeah so there there's always a director and probably multiple visionaries that have kind of a game plan that you know oh i want this emotion to be captured and then it comes to you know your your color palettes and kind of understanding how those react with certain emotions. If you're trying to set, you know, a love scene versus a fight scene versus, you know, a sad scene, you're not going to use mm-hmm. the same colors or the same looks, you know, it, it, it changes. So if I'm doing a fight scene, it'll be more aggressive tones. It'll be something that brings you into that world versus if we're doing a sad scene and I'm doing, you know, these cold blue lights and stuff like that that kind of drags you down that road with the performers Mm -hmm. right but that's not necessarily something that you can sit down and learn there are you know there's college and university programs that exist to teach people that and there's textbooks that exist to teach people that you can learn from a theater and follow a lighting designer and follow you know this person that person and they can show you and teach you for me, I didn't really have that option. Um, there was nobody that kind of pushed me in that direction. There was, you know, the theater guys were, were like, oh, yeah, you could learn this. Okay, I'll go. And then you I'll just go have learn to go it. do it. And right. so much of yeah. it was reading books and reading how, you know, colors react with things and how this looks with this or how shapes, you know, create a this or that. So many things mm. I just basically had to learn on my own and study and practice. And then fortunately working at that theater and with a couple production companies at the time, it gave me the tools and the toys to play with. So I could actually reach out and, you know, go spend a day in the shop. And if I didn't know how this fixture worked or how this, you know, was going to happen on stage, I could sit there in the back and, you know, practice it and work on it. So you were in an environment that allowed you to learn things and experiment. Yeah, I put myself in that environment. And fortunately, right. some people helped me out with, you know, a location. Um, 
And then that graduated to an opportunity to do a couple, you know, summer shows and stuff like that when we had some outdoor concerts and stuff like that, where it was, you know, tribute acts and stuff like that. So I'd, that's great. I think it's cool that like, you know, there's a lot of people I have on that. Well, there's, there's been a couple, like there's people that have come on the podcast so far that have, you know, not, I don't want to say like had success and opportunity just kind of dropped into their lap but it definitely had an element of like right place right time kind of thing right and then there there were other people that you know it was kind of like persistence and in just kind of slowly creating that or like just slowly hammering away at this thing until you finally get there but this one i is unique because it's it's just how you said it like you you put yourself in that space where you had that opportunity which is something that like you know I don't think you hear a lot of that in the music industry because it is so like creative based there's not a ton of avenue for like corporate structure or any sort of structure to do that so it's interesting that you were able to find it and kind of take advantage of that right it's cool yeah it it, Um, it took a lot but it, it was you know there there were some people that presented those opportunities that you know it wasn't like you said it wasn't the kind of situation where it just dropped in my lap and it wasn't the kind of situation that you know i had to you know plug lights in in my house and see if a color react like it wasn't like that it was you know i i got the opportunity to work in a shop and work with people and take my knowledge from tour right and from high school theater and stuff like that but what's cool is like but you didn't get the opportunity immediately to go work in the thing that you wanted to do, right? Like you recognized an opportunity being like, well, this isn't exactly what I want, but at least I'll be in an environment where if I, you know, take my free time uh, and apply myself to it, I can use this as like a launching point into the thing I want to do. Right. It's great. Love it. Cool. So you started doing like you said you were doing like summer shows and stuff. Yep. Yeah, I was doing like uh you know, just, just summer concerts, just little concert series with tribute acts and whatnot. And, uh, mm-hmm. basically went from that bouncing between that and the theater that I was working at and the odd corporate show, anything that I could pick up working with the union. Um, there's the international union, uh, IATSE, um, which is for stage hands to, you know, work in the industry within a structure. Uh-huh. And, you know, those guys gave me a lot of opportunities just working as a permit. So I wasn't a member of the union. Um, So you can be an outsider when they're out of members to to accomplish a task. Um, They'll reach out to a call list and I have to be on that call list. And they would call me to do, you know, just push boxes on bigger shows, though. Um, You know, whether that was an arena show coming through so you know walking in and basically pushing boxes for someone like justin timberlake maroon five panic of the disco i wasn't working for the band and i wasn't working for the production company for the band i was working basically for the venue to walk in and just be the labor right so it's kind of like just gig work stuff yeah exactly that was just being a stagehand pushing boxes plugging in cables and come back for loading was any was that cool it was great. It it gave me a lot of motivation to kind of, you know, be on that side, pushing boxes and looking at the touring crew and being like, that's where I want to be. The guy standing in front of house. I right would now. love to like, yeah, I just would love to see those like behind the scenes of those massive, huge productions, like a, 
with the stages that they bring with them and shit, you yeah. know? That's cool. I'd like to do that at some point. <laughs> I'll push boxes for one day and then I'll get sick of it. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Um, so where were we? So you're, you're at home, you're kind of like breaking back into the music scene then, right? Yeah. So, so I'm, I've ta- basically taken everything that I've learned in theater and was actively mm-hmm. using in theater and trying to break back into the rock and roll world, doing shows, picking up shows when I could just go push a box or plug in a cable or tape some stuff down, whatever it was, just mm-hmm. take every opportunity that I could to learn and grow and experience and then kind of go from there to branching back into rock and roll. That was that was me texting and messaging friends and saying like, hey, like, are you guys big enough to have a light guy yet? No? Okay, yeah. well, I'll see you later. <laughs> Got it. Hope you're well. Got it. But um, yeah. It's, when was the first one? The, the first one uh, several years ago. Um, oh boy, I can't remember. You don't remember the first tour that you were LDing on? Well, so I was doing, while I was trying to do rock and roll, I was back doing touring with theater. So. Oh, right. Yeah. So, so it wasn't necessarily like, I remember my first tour doing lighting. Well, how did that start? Uh, well, that, that was through the theater company that I worked with. Um, mm-hmm. the, the guy who did audio, um, had a friend who was the director of this like kids tour, um, doing like children's musicals, going to all the major the- uh, theaters across Ontario and Quebec. And then wh- whatever city they were in, the schools in that area of a certain age group would come out and experience a show. And it was, you know, we did like a musical version of Little Red Riding Hood called Reds in the Hood. We did. <laughs> it, it was like gangster rap, but like kids bop. And then we wow, had, you know, great. Jack and the Beanstalk. We did, um, that was Beanstalk spelled like Woodstock. So it was like this hippie rock show. <laughs> that must have been pretty fun. It was fun. It was, it was definitely an experience and, <laughs> um, you know, not necessarily ty- the type of frequency of scream I was hoping for in an audience. Those kids have mm. some really piercing mm. yells. Um, but Ooh. it was, it was entertaining and it was, it was fun to work with these kids who probably had never seen and won't see for years an actual theater show. So to be able to pull right. that off, you know, how many people, what, what was the tour like? Like how many touring personnel were there? Um, there was myself front of house audio, our director, stage manager, and then eight actors. So it was a small crew. Um, wow. And we and just, you on a bus? No, <laughs> I drove the truck. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It was that small of a, of, of a crew that basically one of us needed to drive the truck and I lived the farthest away. So instead of me driving to meet the van, I hopped in the truck and drove the truck to whatever venue we were at. <laughs> just loading. a box truck? Yep. Just a box truck. Oh my God. <laughs> Okay, that doesn't sound as tight. No, the, How were the drives super short? Some of them were. I mean, like it, it was all Ontario. So when I say tour, we weren't sleeping on couches or in hotels right, or right, anything right. like that by any means. Um, so between shows, you know, when we finish in one city, I just go home. 
So some of the drives were like, you know, 45 minutes. Some of those drives were four hours. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it Mm -hmm. depended. We would do like it was all based on school times. Right. So we were actually done our show loaded up and everything by like four or five o'clock. Hmm. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So a bit different than our, our thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we were, so, we were done and on our way crazy. home by the time you guys are starting your show. Right. All right. That's, that's crazy. So that was like your first touring thing. Doing lighting was with theater. When did you start doing it with bands? Um, so while I was doing that, I had a couple friends that were on tours um, that were coming through Toronto. And, you know, you do kids tours long enough, you kind of go a little bit crazy and mm-hmm. you like crave something just evil sounding. <laughs> <laughs> so my first show, it was it was in the middle of all this this touring and you know we had a week off because it was like march break or something like that so because the kids aren't in school we're not doing shows and mm-hmm. it just so happened that state champs like the pop punk band happened to be coming through and they were they were playing in london ontario about 4 hours away and i messaged one of my friends who was the house tech at that venue and i said hey did they bring an ld no who's the house ld oh so and so all right, if I show up, do you think I could do lights? I'm just, I need to do something. He's like, oh yeah, sure, man, go ahead. <laughs> so I drove That's four sick. hours, me and me and my fiance hopped in the car and, you know, I, I literally called her. I was in a store at the time. I said, Hey babe, you want to go to London? What, what, why, why are we going to London? Oh, you know, state champs is playing there and we're going to go do lights. Okay. Yeah, sure. Let's go. <laughs> And we hopped in and just took off and drove four hours to go do lights for a band that did not pay me. I didn't expect pay. I just wanted to do some lights that wasn't kids bop. Yeah. And that's sick. Yeah. And, and so basically, you know, I, I walked into this show, brought a console and everything and plugged it in. And I said, all right, let's do this. I literally programmed on the way I had my laptop on my lap. And I was writing. Did out. they send you like a set list and stuff? No, I got the set list when I got there. I was just, I was just dry or Kels was driving and I'm sitting there on my laptop like, yeah, they might do this. So I'll do this. So you, <laughs> when you say like program, are you talking like programming runs and stuff like that? Just like sequences? Yeah. Programming sequences and effects and stuff like that. Color looks and stuff like that, that I can kind of bring up. And when they're going to see, this do something. is something that always confused me a little bit. Okay. And, and this is more, I guess, um, I guess a technical question, but like when you, when you're programming things in, in your console or on your computer or whatever, yeah. um, and you go to a new venue that has a whole different array of lights. Like, how does that work? How do you plug your thing into it? And it just knows what, what's there and what to do. So that's, that's something called patching. So that's me taking all the house information, what type of fixtures, what the addresses of those fixtures are taking all that information in, putting it into, into my system. And I do a lot of backend programming, whether I'm, you know, when I'm home or whether when I'm on the road, whatever it I'm, I'm doing. And I create a, what I, what's called a clone rig. So that's basically all these fixtures that, you know, are similar to something that might be in a venue. And 
I basically put this whole okay. list of, th- of things together and effects and what's going to happen, what they are going to do, walk into a venue. And if they don't have the exact fixtures that I programmed, then I clone what I have in my clone rig into the house rig. So what I would normally have my clone rig doing on my computer at home or wherever I am, I'm going to get the house rig to kind of follow that now. So that's the same when, you know, with Ice Nine Kills, we have our floor package of lighting that we carry. But at the same time, I've got a clone rig for anything in the house. So when we walk into a venue, instead of me having to reprogram every single fixture that the house has, I'm able to take all the information that we already have in our tour file and apply it to the show. So I was just like thinking, because the the one that stands out to me was, um, I don't remember the name of the venue, but I think it was in like Tampa, maybe. Um, But it had the, these moving lights in like above the crowd everywhere. Do you remember that? Yes. Yes, I do. That was, and it was, it just looked so different because there was a lot happening on the ceiling above the crowd, which was like the only venue I've seen that in, but like you had just plugged in and it was doing like all sorts of crazy shit. And for me, you know, that's the only time I could ever see any element of the light show because it was in front of me instead of behind me. Right. So that was like my favorite show. (laughs) (laughs) But I was that one specifically, I, I was always wondering, like, how the fuck did he do that? Like, that has that's not our shit. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's, I that's essentially like I said, that's what I do for every show is I'm plugging in my information and cloning it into what the house fixtures can do. And that is a big element that, you know, I have to incorporate into the show, especially with our show being so theatrical and certain elements need to appear. Um, whether that's, you know, uh, the stage needs to be green for communion of the cursed. So if I have all these lights above that are not tied in with our show, then it doesn't match, you know, everything needs to kind of groove together. Right. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting to me. I love all this stuff. I'm probably like nerding out way more than most people were, but (laughs) I mean, you, I, I, I think I text you questions about lighting fairly often or more than the average person probably yeah your latest (laughs) request was lasers and i don't know how we're gonna do that one but we'll work on it (laughs) yeah i want lasers i like lasers um but lighting like the production has always been such a huge thing like the most memorable shows i've been to have been like more about the production than anything else you know, <laughs> it's just such a different experience when the when the production is like cool and unique. Um, OK, so first show you did. Well, that was like, was that your first bigger show was like for state champs? Yeah, that, that was my first show, just like walking in and playing lights. And then, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was another show coming up that uh, one of my buddies was the guitar tech on and. It's uh, this was Chelsea Green and Born of Osiris. Um, oh, okay. And you know, I I texted my friend John Douglas and I said, hey, you know, who's doing lights on that? Oh, our buddy Max, uh, Max Klein. And uh, I said, okay, well, you know, can I come hang out? Like, just I just want to hang out. And uh, he's like, oh yeah, of course, you know. And so so me and Kels popped down to Toronto and walked into the show, hung out for a little bit, and. Uh, 
basically the the touring LD said, yeah, man, I mean, hey, if you want to just do lights for the opening bands, go nuts. And so I did that. And when it came time for the for Chelsea Grin and then followed by Born of Osiris, he says, well, do you want to do lights with me? I was like, what? What do you mean? Well, I'm on, I only have my touring rig, but I'm not tied into the house rig. Do you want to do the house rig? And I was like, uh, sure. Yeah. And so I so did you're the house doing rig it. on the house console. <laughs> he did his tour rig on this touring console. And the two of us tag teamed lighting for the show. Did you know the songs well enough? I knew the songs decently. I knew, I mean... Those those are very talented. Bands, I would imagine that would be really gonna, challenging. I'm not going to rip on them, but they have some very predictable parts of their music. That right, you know, right, oh, right, a breakdown's gotcha. coming. I know that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So right. that was basically my first after state champs. That was my first like, hey, let me go do something stupid. And then well, my that's connection cool, though, because those guys exactly- connected me eventually with Dying Fetus, death metal band. Uh-huh. And was that a one-off too, or was that no, a tour? no, no, no? Those guys, those guys brought me out to do. So that was like the first tour. Then that was the first rock like and metal roll metal rock tour. tour. Yeah. That's um quite a first tour. <laughs> no, it was uh, that was Dying Fetus, Whitechapel. Um, yeah, that was that was a time to go, and so I had left when I got the phone call to go do Dying Fetus. I had left the children's tour mid tour. So you went from the children's tour to going to play with dying Within Venus. 48 hours, I went from kids <laughs> screaming to death metal. Yes. That's amazing. What year was this? This was two years ago. Okay. Wow, that's crazy. So wait, so how did that happen? Like that's a lot for a band to just trust someone that hadn't done it. So they, like they, had, they had an LD out with them originally for the Mm -hmm. first three dates of the tour. And then he fell through and just wasn't what they were looking for. And so they reached out to um, one of their friends who connected them with uh, my friend who was the, um, the guy with born of Osiris and Chelsea grin. And so he said like, Mm -hmm. I can't do this tour, but Hey, try Alex up in Canada. And so I was like, "Uh, yeah, let's do it. They, I got, as soon as I got that phone call, I kind of got off the phone and, uh, and I said, I think I'm going to go do a death metal tour. And I called my director and I called all these other people and tried to replace myself. But long story short, I basically walked away from the tour that I was on and said, okay, I'm going to go do this. This is what I want to be doing. So I'm going to go do this. And, you know, that was kind of my my normal job at that point. How'd they take it? <laughs> they did not take it. Well, I had a bunch of gear on that tour. They straight up left it on the side of the road. Oh, and wow. fortunately the actors were like, okay, no, that's not cool. And so they took it with them and dropped it off at a theater. And, you know, I went and picked it up when I got back, but um, yeah, they did not take it. Well, the director was not happy at all. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, he had an LD that literally walked away from a tour, but I did replace myself. I did find a replacement that, that was coming in 
and everything was sorted out. So it wasn't like I left them high and dry, but at the same time he felt that way and was, he thought it was a personal attack. And I was like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. no, no. I just genuinely need to go to America and do a tour. This is what I want to be doing. And that was, it was a big decision that I had to make very quickly because going from that, like that was a solid job that I had that I knew I had every year. I had the dates pre-booked that it was, you know, everything was, was, was good. So I went from that to going into the unsure, okay, I'm going to go do rock and roll and maybe do another tour after this one. Mm-hmm. And so it was, yeah. it was mildly terrifying, but at the same time, it was, it was something that I was passionate about. And I thought, you know, this is something that I w- want more than anything in the world. Right. So I'm going to just push myself as hard as humanly possible and make it happen. Well, how did, how did it go once you it got went there? Well, I, I, to this day, I love, I loved working with those guys. I still love them. Um, you know, last year we did, uh, heavy Montreal completely out of the way for me. Um, you know, that's a six, seven hour drive at, that me and my fiance hopped mm-hmm. in and we were like, all right, let's go to Montreal. We walked in and, you know, we did dying fetus. I helped out cancer bats and all that remains and just, you know, walked in and did some lights for them because I happened to be at that point, I was dying fetuses light guy. So yeah, I had that must've been fun. I like cancer bats a lot. Yeah. So that was, I'm sorry. What year did you say that was? 2017, 18? Hang on. I think I have, I got laminates here. There you go. Let's see. What do we got? That was, oh no, that was, that was the beginning of 2019. 2019. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then, so your dying fetus is LD at that point. Yep. How did you, cause I, I can't even remember all the bands that you were working with. So let's go through it from there. Like give me chronologically how it kind of spiraled. <laughs> uh, so I went from, I went from dying fetus. So that was the, the dying fetus white chapel tour. Um, the next tour after that, that I did was, um, Palais Royale. And that was okay. uh, with uh, Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie. Jesus, that was a that was a big run. That's so cool. Um, I have heard and I haven't seen uh, that Marilyn Manson's Manson's light show is like intense, like super intense. Their LD Nico is absolutely fantastic. Um, he does, I believe, he does the Strokes as well. Both his shows, whether it's Manson or the Strokes, are absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah, he does. He does a bang up job. The show is fantastic. It's very theatrical, a lot of rock and roll elements as well. But, you know, they've got everything, even snow machines that come out for a certain song. And that's super cool. It's, it's very cool. Everything about that show is fantastic. Same with Rob Zombie. I mean, Damian Rogers, their LD. Fantastic. Everybody in those teams, those, those camps are fantastic. Did you know about these guys before you met them? No, I did not know them before I met them. Um it was literally day one of the tour I had designed for Palais Royale. I had designed a floor package um, for this. And this was an arena tour. So I didn't know how much lighting I was going to actually have. And right. so the management and tour manager and everything for, for Palais had said, you know, design a rig, send us the numbers and everything and we'll make it happen. I was like, okay, sure. So I sent them drawings. I sent them renderings and quotes. Um, and they said, okay, yeah, we'll do this. And so I went to the shop when I got in, 
it was Baltimore, I believe. Um, I flew in and built this rig in the shop, rolled it out to the first venue and we didn't make it in the door. We unloaded the truck and one of the stage managers says, that's not coming in here. And I said, what? For the, was that for the for the headliners? Yeah, the the stage manager for the for the headliners said, "Well, that's not coming in here." I said, "What do you mean? I thought they cleared it with you." No, it hadn't been cleared. There was some kind of miscommunication that we ended up not being able to take a, a lighting rig oh with us. God. And so it was at that point that I, you know, I met with the LD for uh, for Rob Zombie, Damian Rogers, and uh, their head of lighting, Jason Gray. The two of them kind of came out and they said, hey, what the hell's going on? And I said, okay, well, here's the situation. Is there any chance I could use like, you know, maybe a couple more fixtures than your front wash? Because at the point, at that point, that's all we were really allowed was the front wash. And that's just like to light up the front of the stage. Exactly. You know, that's, that's face light. So I didn't have anything else other than the rig that we were supposed to take. And these guys, absolutely phenomenal dudes. They they said, you know, we'll give you this much of the rig. And it was it was huge. They gave me a lot of stuff, a lot of toys to play. Like from from Rob Zombie's rig? Yeah, they let me use a, a bunch of their overhead stuff. They said, you know, you can pick a certain number of fixtures and go with that. You know what? We should – I, I want to pause and, and just come – like I, I – this last tour that we were on, um, that unfortunately, Alex, you were not with us on when we were in Europe, was the first time I had been on a tour in 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 rooms that were were like arena sized, right? They were small arenas. And it's the first time I had seen like people bring it because when we when we toured, we didn't bring our own front stuff right like stuff that went up to the ceiling right and hung right we down. didn't have a floor but, package and yeah and, and and i had never seen at least never noticed um you know bands bringing their own stuff like that until we just did it and i didn't like the amount of work and time that goes into setting up these stages is is crazy because those guys are in there and I, I know i know you know this but just for listeners and stuff like they're in there at like 7 8 a.m like rigging all these lights up and hoisting these like two ton trusses up to the ceiling and stuff it's crazy it is definitely crazy and that's that's all stuff that i was working with the union back when i started doing stagehand stuff so it was Mm -hmm. you know to go from the small theater world into that rock and roll industry where it's like whoa there is so much stuff in the air right now and it wasn't there two hours ago yeah, it's wild. It's nuts. Yeah. And not even that, like the speed at which people do it is pretty impressive too. Mm-hmm. Like everyone knows their job, super professional. No one's in the way of anyone else. You know, it's just like, it's casual, but very careful, yeah, you know? Exactly. Super cool. All right. So um, what tour was that? That was the Pele Royale one. Yeah, that was, that was, that was Manson. And you eventually, so you, you were almost out of a job day one on that tour. <laughs> Pretty much. Right. It was, it was a, it was a big deal to, you know, to have designed and put so much work and effort into this rig. And I had programmed their entire floor package to be mm-hmm. this like pretty decent spectacle. Um, and then for us to not have that, it was like, uh Oh, and so it was kind of, okay, I got to rework everything. And I took my console to a hotel room for the night and just programmed my ass off to kind of rebuild the show with the new fixtures that Rob Zombie was letting us use. 
And so putting that Did all it together end up being better. That? Did they give you more than what you would have had? Oh yeah. <laughs> so was it better? It was, it was definitely better. And I mean, those, the, the crews were in there starting load in way before we were allowed in the venue. So I didn't have anything to load right. in. Other so than half of your work was done. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty tight. So, uh, it was interesting. <laughs> that, that was, that was the easiest. So what, job. what, Oh, I bet. Um, what was after that? Uh, after that was just a bunch of festivals. So during these several years, and I totally missed this chapter, um, do, during all this, I was also doing summer festivals. And that was kind of another introduction to the rock and roll world. Just summer festivals, mm-hmm. folk festivals, blues festivals, rock festivals, whatever it was in Toronto and anywhere in Ontario, I was hopping on and helping out these companies. Um does that mean like what were you doing LD stuff? Yep, I was doing LD stuff. Um, I didn't design the so rigs. So people didn't bring their own LD. You were just running. Correct, it. correct. I didn't design necessarily everything that went up there, but I was the you know the operator, the programmer that kind of adapted to whatever band or performer was on. Mm-hmm. So Got it. after, so you're doing that. Yeah, a- after, after I s- kind of got my hand in the theater world doing programming and actually being a lighting director. I kind of involved myself with these different festivals through friends. Someone was working sound and happened to, you know, know that the guys needed an operator that could go away for a week. And so I would go do that and just hop on everything I could. And so after the Manson zombie tour, I hopped onto a bunch of festivals again and just going out on those things and different shows and whatever I could. Um, until Black Dahlia Murder, which was my next call, um, which was the fall of 2019. Black Dahlia Murder. That's a band like, you know, I should really get more into that band because everyone, every time I hear them, I really like it, but they're just one of those bands that I never listened to. And I don't know why. A lot of people will say it's an acquired taste. A lot of other people will kind of tell you that that's like a staple it. in the metal world, that everybody yeah. has a Black Dahlia Murder t-shirt. Everyone does have a Black Dahlia Murder they shirt. They do. They probably made a lot of money on on t-shirts. Absolutely. There are so <laughs> many people that have never heard that band or don't know anything about death metal that are wearing Black Dahlia Murder shirts just because it's a cool design or it's a cool shirt to have. Yeah, they're like the, uh, I don't know, what are, what are all the bands at, uh, like ACDC and Guns N' Roses and stuff of like Forever 21? <laughs> Imagine if you start seeing Dying Fetus shirts. Oh boy. I guess, what's the closest, like the Misfits? <laughs> yeah. They went mainstream. Yeah, it's, uh, I, would, I would say Misfits, Guns N' Roses, and Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden, that's definitely one that no one's heard, <laughs> but everyone wears their shirt. Yeah, I think that. You know, I only heard Iron Maiden for the first time. I heard Iron Maiden for the first time, um, like last year, I think. <laughs> it's pretty bad. All right. Um, so Black Dahlia Murder, was was that a headliner? Uh, sort of. It was half headliner, half support. Um, we were doing kind of two tours at the same time. We were out with Black Label Society. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, so we were, Right, that's the one that... Is that the one that played Boston twice? No. Did we? Oh, was that a different tour? No. I thought we, it played Boston twice, once at the beginning of the tour and once at the end. 
I don't think I don't think no that was that was a different tour that was an earlier tour oh okay but it was Black Label Society right got it okay um but no um, with, with this one so how it was, was that it was one just was, that, uh, was it, it just the two bands no it was it was the two of us plus uh alien weaponry which is a band from new zealand okay um essentially yeah we were we were on kind of our own headliner at the same time so we were doing club tours at the same time so we would go when we had an off day with black label we would hop off to another club and do a headliner there were there a lot of off days on that tour? Uh, there were a few. Um, I mean, Black Label, they're all a bunch of older gentlemen. Um, so they need a little bit of rest time. They need a little bit of downtime. And some of the drives were a little bit long. So when we were doing a long drive, mm-hmm. while they would take an off day, we would drive to a middle city. And that's where our headliner happened to be. Got it. Got it. Yep. Yeah, I'm just curious because a lot of those, the bigger the tours, the more off days there are. Yeah. And I just, they're, uh, well, they're kind of in that weird, they're almost like a huge band, but they're not quite, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it was a great tour. So I, just, and b- being with those dudes, oh, I mean, sure. Zach Wilde is an insane player. Um, hearing his guitar yeah. solos every night and watching them perform. Absolutely fantastic. They're, they're LD. Um, Dan Dawson is one of my fa- favorite people on the planet. Uh, he also looks like yeah. Rob Zombie. Was that a cool, everyone cool on that tour? Oh God. Uh, yeah, everybody. I kind of feel like a lot of sound guys and, and, uh, people that just work behind desks at venues look like Rob Zombie. (laughs) There was, uh, every, every time I saw him outside having a smoke, I I didn't know how much change I had in my pocket. Whatever I had though, I would walk up to him (laughs) and give it to him and be like, Hey man, I hope your day gets better. (laughs) And there'd be fans talking to, and I just drop off all this change and they'd be like, Oh, (laughs) <laughs> oh that's great dude I, here's a question I, of all the um this is a, a side question but of all the the people that you've worked with stagehands sound guys other lighting directors all that stuff what percentage of them would you say had ponytails <laughs> um <laughs> I'll say a good 40, 50% of them. Um, that's like an insane percentage. I know, but it is true. Especially, I mean, some of these older bands and the death metal guys, a lot of them have long hair. Yeah. You had long hair. I did. I did have long hair. I have no hair now because I had a little Britney Spears moment when everything shut down. <laughs> Wait, did you have long hair when we were on tour? Uh, I had long-ish hair. No, you yeah, didn't. Yeah, I just wore a hat all the time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because I, well, right. I remember Chevy made that discovery. I had my hat off. Yeah, it was like halfway through the tour, me. I remember. Yeah, that's right. I do remember. All right, anyway, sorry. I just know every sound guy has a ponytail. <laughs> um, okay, so Black Dahlia Murder. Was that, was it, was it, like, were all those dudes cool? Like, the, did you hang out with, like, Zach Wilde at all, or was he kind of He He does his alone? own thing. He is, he is a strange character. Um. I saw him my fair share, but I kind of typically on tour, I, I kind of stay away from people. I just kind of do my own thing yeah, and drift yeah. off into my own world. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time I'm running around, whether it's working on my stuff or helping someone else, I just kind of try to avoid humans. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, let me ask you this. I, I, I think maybe you would know more than I would, but do you feel like our group of people that we tour with, are a tighter group.
group of people than most? <laughs> uh, yes and no. I think everybody gets along really great and we can all hang out and spend days locked in a, in a bus together. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are some people that are literally like family. Like you watch some of yeah, them interact sure. and black labels, a perfect example of that. Those guys are family, you know, everything That's they like do, the they, they eat and breathe, like just supporting each other. Right. And They've probably been together. All those bands that have been together for a long time. Yeah. It's, right? I mean, it's the same with black Dahlia murder. Those guys, those guys are such longtime friends and they are not all original members. But everyone involved in that camp is is just supportive of each other. Um, their tour manager, Nick, and um, front of house, Marshall, who definitely had a ponytail, yes. Um, <laughs> the two of those guys are, you know, two of my best friends in this industry. They're fantastic people. Dan Dawson from Black Label, fantastic people. Just like everybody that kind of supports each other and doesn't make it a competition is what makes a good community in the entire tour. You know, when when we walk into a venue, it doesn't matter, you know, who the house techs are or, you know, who the openers are or anything like that. As long as we all kind of get along, the chemistry kind of sets the mood and the tone for the day so that, you know, nobody's really uncomfortable. If somebody's unhappy, some people have off days, some people have bad days, it happens. But to be kind of in an environment that everybody generally supports each other, it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I I just mean like when I asked that question, I think I just noticed that there's a lot of touring groups that where it's like, okay, the band clearly knows each other and has this like vibe and they all hang out and then the crew all knows each other and they all hang out. But I don't feel like I've ever been on a tour where it was like that. Or at least I felt I always feel uncomfortable when it's like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, it depends on the the type of tour. There's a lot of totally a lot of bands don't associate with their crew and vice versa. Not because of any specific reason. It's just simply the band no. Is I the don't band. mean it even in a negative way. Yeah, yeah I, it's just sitting. Certain bands are busier than others too, and they don't get that FaceTime. Even, right, but yeah. All right, yeah. Anyway, tangent. So what happened after Black Dahlia? That was like mid to 2019 or that was, early? Uh, that was fall 2019. Um, while I was, so was that right before us? That was right before you guys actually, while I was on that tour, um, is when Don and I were talking about me coming out with you guys. And how did that like, it was connection a mut- mutual friend of Don's. I had reached out and said like, Hey, I'm in the U S for X amount of time. And I have some availability after this tour. I end on this date. Is there, you know, are there any tours that are happening that you guys need a hand with, whether it's, you know, me actually going out on the tour or just getting organized? Because I have a decent amount of connections and friends in the industry with production groups that are able to help, whether it's discounts Mm -hmm. or just making sure people get the right stuff. Um, So it was, you know, kind of a helpful question like, hey, do you guys need anything? And she happened to, to say, you know, oh, my friend Dawn needs an LD for one of her artists called ice nine kills. I said, ice nine kills. I don't think I've heard that band since like 2012. And there's a fun fact for you. 2012, I believe, I think it was 2012 or 2013 that a band that I played for, and I can't remember which band it was, 
opened for a tour that had Ice Nine Kills as a support band on it. Oh, really? What, do you remember the tour? I don't. I remember that Ice Nine Kills was. It was on one it. of the. Was there like a shitload of bands on yeah, it? Yeah, it was one of those. It wasn't like Rage yeah, Fest or those. anything like that, but it was. Right. It was. I mean, Famous Last Words was on it. Uh, Ice Nine Kills. Yeah, I think they were on every tour in in that time yeah. frame. <laughs> yeah, I I can't remember everybody that was on, but I just I remembered when they said Ice Nine Kills, it was like, oh, I remember hearing that name, and <laughs> I texted, I I texted my fiance. I said, hey, do you know a band called Ice Nine Kills? She's like, oh, I used to love them in high school. I was like, oh, okay, that works, and. You know, it it was kind of like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll I'll work with them. You know, can you give me some information? And uh, so Donna and I started talking, and she'd call me every once in a while and kind of give me the the lowdown on what the the record is about, what the show is about, and all this stuff, and saying that oh, it's very theatrical. And I said, oh, well, theater's my jam. Let's do it. And then I didn't really know how theater it was going to be until I spoke with Spencer for the first time. Dude, when when Spencer first told me that we were talking to an LD that had a background in, in theater, he was like giddy. <laughs> he was so happy. <laughs> it was uh, it was an interesting conversation the first time because he was talking about all these these movies. And at that point, I had barely seen them like something like Jaws. I've seen Jaws. I've seen Jaws a thousand times. My dad loves Jaws, but I don't class that as a horror movie. It is. Right. But, or like Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like I'd seen those kinds of things and it was never like scary to me, but I also looked at the other list of these songs and it was like, oh my God, I've never seen any of these. Like these are actually scary movies. Have you now? I've seen them all now. Um, I haven't. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> I had to. I felt after my first yeah, phone call I, I probably Spencer, I thought there was going to be a huh? quiz. <laughs> well dude there is every fucking day in our vip i know that's why I, that's why i leave at that point and kind of just <laughs> yeah i know more about those movies from the uh the vip sessions than i do from watching them <laughs> yeah i i um, binge watched those while i was out with a black the black die murder because i was getting that information from dawn saying you know oh this this song's called the american nightmare it's about nightmare on elm street and I was the biggest scaredy cat of all time, dude. When it comes to horror, I'm gonna have to put up that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to put up that video <laughs> on our Instagram. What movie was that? <laughs> I like can't remember. I I think we were watching either The Witch or Hereditary. No, it was the ritual. one of those like the ritual. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. You are the best person to watch scary movies with. No one looks more scared the entire time. <laughs> than you do dude i wrap myself up in a big blanket and yeah i just you know, pull it right up to just under your yeah, eyes so you can pull it up just over to, your just eyes to be able to watch so i can hide in my blanket of safety oh it's so good yeah i have to put that video up it's amazing <laughs> it's a good one. uh so it got you uh it brought you into a whole world that do you like horror movies i do now well, when you were first watching them, was it like a chore? Sort of. I mean, when I was when I was a lot younger, I had a friend that made me watch um, the odd horror movie that I was like really not into. So we would watch at a time like 20 minutes into it and I'd be like, hey, how about we watch Step Brothers? 
And, you know, that's kind of where that went. But then eventually I saw, what was it? Cabin in the Woods. And yeah. it didn't kind of sink in for a while until I kind of started working on the Ice Nine Kills thing. And actually it was more on Black Dahlia Murder that that kind of sunk in because they have a lot of not horror themes like you guys do, but they have a lot of elements about them that have yeah, this you know, horror aspect to it, more of the gore side. Um, but you know, they have a lot of that element in it. So when I was working on it, I was kind of, you know, how do I make a horror look? How do I make that kind of come to life? And it reminded me of cabin in the woods because that's pretty much the premise of the movie is these guys that are creating a live horror movie. You right. know, they're behind the scenes. They're the ones, you know, releasing the zombies or whatever it is. And that kind of really sunk in at that point. And I remember watching it years before and being like, oh, that's cool. It's not a scary movie. It's kind of funny. And then it sunk in during Black Dahlia Murder when we were doing a song and they're like, oh, yeah, this is that. And then we also have this new show that's coming up or a new record that's coming up that we, you know, we have all these elements that we want to capture. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's easy. And then, you know, sinking in to that horror aspect and kind of beginning to watch stuff like Saw and Friday the 13th. Oh, dude, I cannot watch those movies. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't, something like Saw, I'm not a huge fan of. I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. But, I don't like torture. Yeah, the the stuff like Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween, and Scream, and stuff like that's that. That's fine. That that's okay. I like Scream. Scream is, I would say, Scream's probably my favorite of all of them because again, there's that comedy aspect to it. Yeah, and yeah, it's light. Yeah, to have that while also having a little bit of spooky elements and stuff like that, it's it's cool. And having to watch all of those movies in the span of a week, everything that you guys had from that to <laughs> also like researching stuff from the, the previous album and kind of going through all this stuff. It's like, Holy crap, this is a lot of homework, but you know, I was doing it and it's like, okay, I shouldn't be watching any of these alone, but I'm going to. And I would just be in my bunk <laughs> all day. As soon as Loden was finished until it was showtime, I would just be in my bunk either, watching a movie or on FaceTime talking about the movie, trying to like, you know, figure everything out. I can picture you just in your bunk huddled up, trying not to scare yourself. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's <laughs> so good. And doing uh, those horror movies, like you have a lot of classic stuff that ice nine does where, you know, Friday the 13th isn't necessarily scary, but in right. that element, you know, I'm also like getting suggestions from friends that are like, oh, if you like that, you should watch this. And it's like, I don't like that, but I'll watch it anyways. Sure. <laughs> and so that led me to, you know, rewatching because I did watch it before The Conjuring and kind of spooky movies that in movie. that, that realm. And it was like, oh, my goodness, this is a new level. Like this isn't, you know, a guy in a hockey mask about to jump out. This is like. Right. Devil. <laughs> So now that you've seen all these horror movies, do you have like a favorite genre of horror? I I like a lot of the new stuff. Like I do too. The, kind of the stuff that you made me watch that I have rewatched since um, just to try to like, okay, I can handle this. You can handle it. You're a big boy, Alex. It's okay. Um, watching <laughs> stuff like Hereditary and uh, Midsummer or Midsummer, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, stuff like mm -hmm. that and the ritual 
rewatching kind of those things, I'm looking at it more from the artistic standpoint, which is so yeah. much of what theater was, was taking all these artistic points from, you know, whether it was the director wanting this or that, you know, just taking all these artistic elements, kind of throwing them together and working with a couple artists through the years, bringing out certain elements of spooky and this or that or love or hate or yeah, it's interesting. I think like the the horror genre specifically, and I think this is why, you know, especially what you do for us is so impactful is that so much of it is based on like creating a vibe and like a feeling instead of just like what it is, right? Like all these horror movies, like they rely so much on this feeling of suspense and eeriness and you can see in different styles of horror movies how they do that with either sound or color or lack thereof of both you know um which is something that i've always appreciated especially like what you were saying like with the newer movies you know you watch like like the witch for example right the whole movie is in almost like a sepia tone you know and it gives it this like old eerie feeling and then a lot of these newer ones are in like black and white even or have you seen mother uh, is that the jennifer lawrence one yes yeah no, but it's like on my that list. Movie... oh man that one's heavy um there was a whole score written for that and then the director and the guy that wrote the score ultimately decided to just throw it out and just work on sound design stuff it's really hmm. cool um but all that kind of stuff I like nerd out over. And I think that's why, I mean, especially with Spencer, he has such a vision for everything around the performance and the music. It lends itself so well to, you know, especially someone like yourself that has a background in creating that for a different type of performance that that's not just like strobes and flashing yeah, lights exactly. to bring energy and stuff. Very cool. Now, there is uh, when I um, spoke to Spencer about the show and kind of where and how I was going to create everything, I remember him giving me all these pointers of like, oh, I want this element to be captured. I want to see this. And, you know, at the time I'm just like, okay, yeah, sure. And, you know, he was picking colors mm-hmm. and, you know, he said for uh, for Nightmare on Elm Street, the, the Freddy sweater, that it's, you know, red and green. And he's like, can you right. put red and green into the show for that song? And I was like, well, yeah, no problem. And then I'm like thinking about that after the phone call. I'm like, why the hell would I put red and green? That's just Christmas. Right. And, you know, already we have Merry Axmas, which is a Christmas. Right. Which like, is yeah, already I can't Christmas. Duplicate that, especially to end a show. That's what people remember. And to kind of build that element of, you know, red and green, how am I going to do that? And it came up from watching all these movies and watching. Friday the 13th. And, you know, Jason is always wearing green um, with mm-hmm. Friday the 13th. And you look at Nightmare on Elm Street, there's always that red and green sweater. And right. so kind of looking at the two and then eventually watching Freddy versus Jason, there was this moment, there's a fight scene in Freddy versus Jason where you see this like kind of gross green that pops out. And it was a light, it was a lighting thing, but there's a gross green that kind of comes out and then this like off red that comes out. And these are both lighting choices from the director. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, that's pretty cool. And those are the two colors that we actually ended up using for American nightmare is from Freddy versus Jason. And the reason why I picked 
that exact look was not just because of the red and green was also kind of my own little Easter egg in itself, looking at the fact that we start the show with Friday the 13th, thank God it's Friday and then end the show. Of course we have our encore, but um, end the show with nightmare on Elm street. So I figured, you know, a Freddy versus Jason reference, nobody's going to get it, but that's something that I'm burying in the back that it's like, yeah, that was, that's where that came from. That's cool. God, there's so many little tiny Easter eggs in our show. (laughs) (laughs) Like stupid lyrical things. There's no way that anyone would ever get. No, but the odd person that it kind of clicks with or or vibes with. Oh, I think it's super cool. Little things even like in your numbers up. Some somebody was talking about about it the other day and was asking, you know, oh, you you pick red and because the stage is split in half. One side is red. One side is blue. And a lot of people think, oh, you're splitting it because one side is Ghostface and the other side is Drew Barrymore. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But no, <laughs> it, that's what I no, thought it was. <laughs> it, it's it was kind of like I did split it because originally when we were doing rehearsals, that's where Spencer was standing. And it was like, OK, well, that kind of works. But the main reason why it's there is because of police lights. Ah, yep, that makes sense yeah, too. Yeah, so that that's where that you know that little itty bitty Easter egg is. Um, is it's just police lights. There's nothing I crazy about it. I love it. Um, that's so cool. God, now I want to learn about everything. But you know what's actually interesting? You know, all those things like where you say like, well, no one's gonna know that it's a, you know, paying tribute to Freddie versus Jason or whatever. But I love that it came from, it stayed true to the vision of it. You know, even if no one knows it, it clearly is representative and it actually does have a root in, you know, the source, which is super cool. And it, and it like, even aside from it being like a cool little Easter egg thing, it did make the show different and it had a different vibe for Mary Axmas and all the other songs with red. We use a lot of red. We do use a lot of red. So, yeah, we're, there's a lot of blood that happens. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. What was it like incorporating, you know, because we have Chevy with mm-hmm. us and she's not performing like we are. She's actually up there acting and interacting with the scenery and, and the band members. Is it different kind of combining the two elements of theater and that like intense rock show? Um, it's interesting. Um, there's There's a bit of a challenge that presents itself where, you know, when I'm doing a rock show, there's a lot of flashing lights, fast moving things, mm-hmm. fog, haze, all that thick stuff that you know, makes it hard to see on stage versus right. theater is a lot more controlled and there's a lot more safety measures put in place versus a rock show. So mm-hmm. there was kind of that was a big struggle was making sure how can I do this without anybody getting hurt? Mm-hmm. And just from a lighting, a lighting and special effects standpoint, how am I going to pull that off? And so when we were incorporating Chevy into it and having her, you know, with something like communion of the cursed, having her on stage and flailing about, how are we going to get that to happen safely with movements so that as she's coming on stage, Dan's not going to trip over her or Ricky's not going to spin around and hit her in the mouth with a guitar, you know, something like that, that would totally be a (laughs) a mood. I did almost kill her one night. There was one night, actually, it was in Europe, just this past tour in Europe that I almost took her head off with my wow, guitar. That would fit the show. It was really close. Yeah, you're right. But I also think like that's true. And I know we spent a lot of time doing that in rehearsal and even like choreographing her movements and everything. But also 
specifically in that song, which is what I was thinking about in Communion of the Curse, there's a moment where there's two very like uh, showy things happening at mm-hmm. once. And one of those is Spencer doing the God stance in the crowd, <laughs> right? Just standing on top of people and Chevy then standing on the middle riser, just kind of doing her exorcist thing. And I imagine, and and on third, on top of that, it's a breakdown, which is already a very intense moment in the show. So there's like a lot of stuff that you have to kind of capture in a one in a limited amount of time and sometimes in a very limited amount of space. Yeah, it's I mean, trying to translate that part of the song into every single venue is difficult. Um, Right because we play some small venues, we play some big venues that we have all the space in the world. So kind of in the design process, that's kind of where I have to find a nice happy medium and like, how am I going to light this while still giving this same effect? So for example, you have uh, our big strobe lights I'm using as wash lights for, for that scene because it gives this big larger than life silhouette look for Spencer. Who's walking on the crowd mm-hmm. while at the same time, right. I have lights underneath the riser that Chevy's standing on, giving her this element of, you know, evil. So to have the two and be able to separate the two is what, you know, obviously that's the big challenge. Yeah. uh, I'm hoping that people can listen to this before they watch the live stream tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. That would be a cool little thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it'll be on the special features. Yeah. Uh, I actually am already like, I'm going to go back and watch this now when we, when we do it tomorrow, like I'm going to look out for those things. Um, very cool. I mean, do you have anything that you want to talk about with doing lighting for ice nine or should we move into what you were doing after ice nine and what you were supposed to be doing? (laughs) Um, I mean, that's pretty much it for ice nine. I mean, there's, there's lots of, I could go on for hours about little Easter eggs and little things that I hid in the show or little stories. Uh, I can give you one funny one, which was our first show of the tour. Um, okay. Which is when we were talking about doing the chainsaw for savages. What, where was this first show? I, I don't remember. Was, was it Cleveland? On, I have the laminate. I think it was Ohio. Yeah. Cleveland. Yeah. Um, so when we were, we had finished load in and everything. And I was talking with Spencer about, this chainsaw and Don showed me this chainsaw that he had, that the chain was on it. And I was like, (laughs) okay, so there's a chain on this weapon that is battery powered and he's going to run on stage and start swinging it around. And I get it. I get that. That's for the Texas chainsaw massacre, but we don't need a Cleveland chainsaw massacre (laughs) on our first show. And I'm remembering. Yeah. So, you know, Spencer was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you you can have my chainsaw for a minute. And I took his chainsaw backstage <laughs> and I took the chain, it like just took the chain off so it wasn't going to hurt anyone. And oh. he, goes, he goes, well, I would have rathered it stay on, but I understand. <laughs> Great. Okay. Nobody's going to die tonight. And then I remember to, uh, seeing him in his mid 30s about his toys. What's that? It's talking to someone in his mid thirties about his yeah, toys. And, and I remember watching during savages and he's swinging the, the chainsaw around. I swear he hit himself probably three or four times during the song. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you would have been dead, homie. 
That thing was a real chainsaw. It was point. a real chainsaw, and the chain was removed at the first show, and it stayed off. Wow, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, dude. I wonder how many times if if people weren't around to tell Spencer no, how many people he would have accidentally maimed. All or your killed props would be real. <laughs> I have gotten hit in the face by his machete multiple times. Wow. So I would have ha- had machete slashes in my face. Well, I mean, there's your there's your Edward Scissorhands look, right? Yeah, I guess I already have that. Makeup <laughs> God. All right. All right. So let's yep. move on. So after Ice Nine, did you end up doing anything before you weren't able to do uh, anything? Yes, I did. Um, my last show of 2019 was with uh, Tom Butwin. Um, in Michigan, right. we did a, a Broadway concert called Brushway, Brushes with Broadway, um, which was a performance of a bunch of different shows in a concert form. So we did stuff like Jesus Christ Superstar, um, even like from Tarzan, like cool stuff like that, as well as a couple of little rock tunes. You know, we had stuff from... Uh, I think I saw Coldplay. Yeah, online. we did Coldplay. We did uh, some Billy Joel. Like it's, uh, it, it was a good show. It was a really good show. That looked like a lot of fun. Absolutely, it was uh, it was a blast, and I love working with him. I worked with him previously, I think two years ago. Um, the first time I met him was doing a show in Toronto um, with him and Ramin Karamlu, uh, which is the fellow who has played Phantom of the Opera um, for many years, right. and including the twenty fifth anniversary of Phantom of the Opera. He's played countless roles. Um, but I remember working that show and Tom was the opener for that show. And he was, you know, he was there with his wife. He drove up from, I think, Michigan and showed up to do this show and was like, hey, you know, I don't know anybody, but I'm Tom. It's like, cool, man. Are you the opener? Yeah, I'm the opener. Great. Do you want any lights or do you care? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll take this. And you know, he basically <laughs> said, like, you know, please don't do a rainbow chase for my show. <laughs> and I was like, no problem. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that, which is okay. Quick side tangent here. There is in almost every show, like rock show that I do, I hide a rainbow chase in it. Is that like your That's, thing? That, it's not like, Oh, that makes an Alex Mungo show, but that is. No, no, I know, but it's a joke. Yeah, for it's yourself. like a joke for myself that I can kind of okay, sit back okay. and laugh at. I know what it is. Explain what a rainbow <laughs> What do you call it? A rainbow, a rainbow what? chase. This is where the a rainbow on the chase. stage <laughs> at some point do, you know, all the colors in the spectrum making a rainbow, not necessarily like a big static look and like, oh, there's the rainbow. But it's there is a moment in every one of my shows that you'll see all the lights kind of do this one after another, do this rainbow chase or rainbow pattern. Do you know what song it is? For, for I'm trying to think right now. Yeah. I don't. It happens twice in the song. There's there's another one for you. Is it um it's not Love Bites, no, is it? No, it is it is the end, which is the only song that actually kind of really it sort of fits with it because of the fact that it's Yeah, I guess it would. What parts? Um it's every time he does the dot dot da 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 <laughs> which you will see on our live. That's pretty game. good. Yeah, that's pretty good okay but cool <laughs> that's where so tom had said this is back to the tom thing tom had said you know please don't do a rainbow chase and i was like i'm not going to so i gave him this, these big looks we didn't have a photographer or anything there 
Um, but you know, I got a couple iPhone pictures and it was like, Hey, that was cool. You're, you're pretty good. Let me know if you're ever doing something again. And so, you know, after that, after that show and everything, you know, being part of that crew, I didn't know if I was going to talk to him again. I messaged him on Instagram after he responded to a story of mine or something like that. And I was like, Hey man, hope you're well, you know, you got anything coming up? Oh, actually I'm doing this show. Oh, cool. What show is it? And then we went from there and, you know, talked about that. And when we were talking about it, this was before ice nine's tour had happened. Um, Mm -hmm. but I had the, you know, the city list and I was like, okay, so this is where we're going. Um, we're going to be playing in Michigan. You should come out. And he came and watched the show from front of house. That's right. He watched you guys from front of house and he was like, this is, I've never listened to metal before, but this is pretty cool. And I got a message from his wife probably a week after the show saying like, what the hell did you do to Tom? All he's listening to is this (laughs) primo stuff. (laughs) Oh man, we're going to infiltrate Broadway. We have, we have already because I think there's talks of him doing a nice nine kills cover just for the hell of it. Oh, that'd be so sick. I want to do it with him. Nice nine kills. (laughs) That'd be so So good. All right. So how was that show? Uh, That show was great. Um, That one's actually, I think it's on his YouTube, um, Tom. Yeah, I watched it. Great show. Had a blast doing it. He's he's really talented. Walk into the venue, kind of incorporate everything that I had, every trick I had for, you know, those those shows and try to bring elements Mm -hmm. of those actual shows. You know, when we're doing Phantom of the Opera versus uh, Jesus Christ Superstore or Dear Evan Hansen, yeah, anything very like that, part. trying to bring these elements from these shows in just to kind of make them pop and be like, oh yeah, I felt like I was watching Phantom of the Opera. He'll, he'll right. argue and tell you yeah. that his voice is nowhere close. It fit. It worked. It was great. He's he's very I thought it was great. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's really um, good. So, um, and then was does that the that was the last th- thing? No, no. I, I I had one opportunity, but that was the last show I've done. Um, right. I had one more thing come up in the new year, which was going out with dance, Gavin dance and animals as leaders. Um, right. So that was March this year, um, that that was happening. So instead of that show happening, I ended up coming back home. Um, but it was dance, Gavin dance and animals as leaders that I was doing lights for. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I showed up for a week of building this rig in production rehearsals and everything big spectacle of a show looked absolutely and phenomenal and we walked into our first venue this was march 12th walk into the first venue and that's the day i flew home th- that's the day you flew home and that's the day the world shut down because we walked in and this right. was in hollywood this was the hollywood palladium sold out show and we were just about to open the doors for our trucks and start unloading gear and then nope uh, the show's canceled guys. What? What are you talking about? Yeah. The show's canceled. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll play in Vegas tomorrow. Nope. Vegas is canceled. What? <laughs> and then it just deteriorated so fast. Oh, and you know, man, within, within 48 hours, I was home and that was heartbreaking to see that. Yeah. Happen so quickly from a sold out tour, massive tour. Um, absolutely phenomenal rig, um, to go from that to, you know, home for a few months until this blew over. 
and now it's was that rig the biggest one that you would have had? Uh, no, the theater rigs are usually a little bit bigger just because there's so many things that have to go into it. Yeah, uh, yeah it was sense. a very big rig. It was the biggest lighting rig they've ever had. Uh, I mean, I saw it. It looked mm-hmm. nuts. Yeah, looked super cool. Bummer. Yeah, so I've been home since then, and that sucks. Yeah, but you've been able to do some live stream stuff, right? Like you just did that one with Pup, which I know is uh, like a underplay, pretty much. But yeah, that was that was the only show here and there. that I've done since this all happened. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that was at Sneaky D's in Toronto, which was one of the first venues they played. It's actually similar to how you guys did uh, the Worcester Palladium, but mm-hmm. that was their first venue. And that's where we kind of did the show recording, no audience, no nothing. And that band puts on such a good it was, show. It was great. Um, and it's kind of bittersweet because that is, you know, the last or probably the last time that they're ever going to be able to play in that venue because it's getting torn down for, um, for condos. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few venues that have closed over the past, I guess, what, eight yeah. months or oh, so boy, it's eight months already isn't that crazy That's ridiculous but i know that you've been uh you know also working on upcoming stuff uh you've heard some of our new yep. stuff and have been working on some of that right yep I which am. i'm probably not supposed to say but whatever no there's no new album um right we don't write music because we're not a band and no one's writing music right no, now not at all mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of covers the history, yeah, right? Pretty much. I mean, that's, that's, up to, that's pretty nuts, up to dude. <laughs> I mean, if you think about what happened, I mean, I guess, how long was that whole thing? When, when did you start? Like, when did you, I started, uh, get that job back with that theater company? Um, well, various jobs and production stuff has been the, over the course of about 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but when 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 you started like pursuing the idea of being an LD, uh, that would have been about six years ago. Yeah. So in six years, going from just running cable and trying to learn about it to working with arguably, even though it didn't happen, arguably the biggest band in the scene, DGD, right? They're like up yeah. there. Um, that's pretty fucking impressive. It's uh, it hasn't been easy. And that's a lot of people that I've spoken to have said like, oh, you know, how do I get from where I am to you? And it's like, I can't tell them a straight answer of like, these are the steps. Well, I mean, I think you laid a pretty good groundwork because what I like about your story, and I said it before, is that like you created these opportunities for yourself over and over and over just by being proactive. Yeah, that's that's really what you have to kind of do is, is just like, work your ass off and don't stop um, and take every mm-hmm. opportunity that, that comes your way. And if there's no opportunities coming your way, go and find them because they're somewhere. Right. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, I think that's what you did and it worked. I mean, not only do you have your foot in like the touring music scene, you have it in the theater world now too. So obviously right now is a horrible point in time for both of those things, yeah. but you know, when things come back, you have options and stuff, which is pretty cool. And I mean, this year was supposed to be a big touring year for me uh, between working with you guys, starting the year with dance, Gavin dance, working with you guys. Um, I was also, you know, I, I work for, for asking Alexandria. 
Right, um, right. And that's so working one. with those dudes, yeah. you know, that was a new record. This is a new record cycle that we're working on. So this was the, I guess, two years of the Like a House on Fire world tour. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. So that's, Very impressive. It, it, it's cool. It's cool, but it sucks that none of it's happening right now. And yeah, I mean, me back. too, man. Happen <laughs> eventually. And now yeah, yeah. I was reassured about something. I was listening to. I've been listening to so many things that everyone's like, "Well, it's not going to be normal for this long," and blah blah blah. But I listened to someone this morning on this podcast I was listening to say like. Oh, everything's going to come back and it, and it will probably take about this much time. But just the way they said it, it was like, huh, oh, that makes me feel so much better because <laughs> they because they just said it first with like, don't like this has happened before and like it will return to normal. It should return to normal quicker, but like it will eventually get there. And I was like, OK, OK, I'm good because <laughs> like I'm in a similar position where you know, like you were saying before, when you gave up your job, um, doing the touring thing with that local theater group or whatever, the children's theater, like, you know, I, I gave up a job to go and do this kind of on a whim too, which is exciting. And I'm glad I did it, but it sucks that like, you know, just as things start rolling, it just shuts down, mm-hmm. you know, but we'll see what we'll happens. Back. And that's, um, it's nothing to obviously, you know, think about it and enjoy thinking about it, but don't get dragged too too far down. I definitely have some off days that I have this overwhelming oh, sense yeah. of dread looking at, "Oh my god, we've been off this long and we aren't going to be touring for this much longer." It's Yeah. At least it gives it well, it's different for you, I guess, but it gives us time to do all the other bullshit we have to yeah. do too. Yeah, so. it's it's a little different. You know, I kind of require a live show. You guys are fortunately right. able to work on the new music, and I'm so excited for people to start hearing that. If you want to come over and do um, lighting for me while I record these podcasts, I actually have a pretty impressive office lighting wow, setup. If I do say so, do I. Myself. <laughs> I have uh, many, many, many lights in here, and they can do all the colors. So. I'm very cozy. Yeah, it's you make you make your own little warm space here. Yeah. All right. So listen, I know you know uh, I sent over the info sheet. We end every episode with a quick tour story, uh, and it can be about anything or anyone you want. I know you kind of already told one tour story, um, which is pretty good. I, I, you told a few actually, but do you have any off the top of your head that um, you could share? Um. <laughs> Sure. Um, I mean, I I've given a couple. I'm trying. I'm trying to think what's a good one here. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's some even from from our time. Yeah, I mean, there there was there was the road to to get to you guys was kind of interesting. Um, what was that? So I was I was in Dallas, Texas, after the Black Dahlia murder ended. This was about a two week window before Ice Nine started. Mm-hmm. And so I was in Dallas at the shop, building the show, building the rig, everything, putting it all together. And then from there, I was going over to my friend's house where he's got a big, you know, gaming computer set up so I could do the rest of my programming. So I was going from Dallas to what Fayetteville, Arkansas, something like that. I like Fayetteville. Oh, it's, it's great. Um, but to get there was an adventure and a half because I had to take a bus, which I don't take buses. I'm afraid of so many people and things. And 
you yeah. know, I had to take a bus. Usually it's like a, a I'm afraid of so many people and things. Yeah. So, so I get in this bus and, uh, you know, the estimated time of arrival was like seven hours from the time we started. And I was like, okay, that's not too bad. Seven hours. You can sleep most of that. It'll be okay. And a lot of just, you know, affirmations trying to make myself feel comfortable. And then, mm-hmm. so we get probably about five hours in and it's the middle of the night and we get to this one bus stop that I guess people were getting off and they said, all right, well, this bus stops here. And I was like, oh, okay. Wait, what? Do, do I get another like ticket? Do I transfer to something else? Oh, no, that one's not until, you know, seven or eight in the morning. I was like, what? That That's like, that's like six hours from now. What do I do? And where were they, you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. And, oh and so, God. you know, I, I'm kind of panicking. I'm like, what do I do from here? And then they said, oh, well, this bus will go here and take you to here. And then you can get on off that bus and onto another bus. And this is already way more buses than I wanted to take. I want to take one yeah, at most yeah. two. So now we're talking like five or six buses that I'm going to have to take. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I kind of want to just go back to Canada at this point. Who cares about Ice Nine Kills? I don't <laughs> want to go home. Oh my god! And so, from the from the the time I got on the bus until the time I finally got off the last bus, sixteen hours later. Oh I, my god! So a seven hour trip. Seven to hour 16 trip to hours. sixteen hours. Um, I was still three hours away from where I was supposed to be. Yeah. What? So they put me on all these different buses to try to get me to where I was supposed to go, but they didn't actually end up getting me there. And there was, you know, they said, okay, well this, you know, the next bus that will take you here will be here in four hours. And I said, okay, this is, this is ridiculous. This was supposed to be a seven hour trip. And we're talking a full day in a bus with like surrounded by people that I'm uncomfortable with. Oh my God. And so I was freaking out and I was like, okay, I I can't do this. So I paid $300 for an Uber to get me from there to wherever the hell I needed to end up. And to get on, were you getting on a flight from Arkansas? No, I Ubered. Oh, oh, wait, I'm confused. Sorry, sorry. from Arkansas, after I finished my programming, I was flying to, uh, to Pennsylvania to to start up with you guys. Got it. Um, Got yeah. It. So no, I was, I was on my way to Arkansas, which is where all my stuff was mailed to. Um, and you know, my, my friend lives there. So I kind of, I'm using his house as my, my mm-hmm. home in America. So, you know, I'm giving myself a little bit of like, should I just wait or should I just take an Uber? So I took an Uber it cost me like just shy of 300 bucks to get to my final destination and I got there and I was like, okay, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. I'm never taking a bus again. And I landed in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or wherever I ended up. Harrisburg, that's where it was. Um, after I got to Arkansas, I did my programming. I was there for a week, flew into to Pennsylvania. And the first thing I, I hear when I get, get off the plane is that, oh, yeah, you could take a taxi to over here. And I was like, nope, I'm waiting for someone to pick me up. That's it. <laughs> I am done. Yeah. And that's a good Yeah, move. and so I'm walking and this was, you know, it was, it was late at night that I got there. And our stage tech at the time, uh Jordan, um landed just after I did. And I was walking through the airport kind of like, I don't know where to go. I'm just going to kind of do my thing. 
So I'm walking and this guy kind of comes up to me. He's like, Hey, are you part of ice nine kills? And I was like, Oh my <laughs> God. No. He's like, he's like, Oh, I just thought you were in a band. Cause, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not part of ice nine. Kills. I love Jordan. <laughs> And he goes, he goes, Oh, I'm their stage tech. I'm Jordan. It's like, Oh, that makes sense. Start with that. And then, then oh, we got God, pretzels so and good. we Ubered to Ricky's house. <laughs> I love Jordan. What's up? Rockers? What's up rockers? <laughs> you do a good Jordan impression. I try. I was around him a lot. Um, yeah, that's a good that's one fun. The people don't realize, you know, it's crazy how many of those stupid travel stories people have from touring i mean we've had a bunch even just in our tours just with flights getting delayed because everything's on such a strict timetable that if you know you're lucky that we weren't in starting the tour that day you know and that shit happens like people fly in late and stuff and there's no real way to predict weather when you're planning and all that stuff so you're kind of at the whim of the airlines and everything. No, I, I, I took that bus because it was so cheap. It was like 60 bucks instead of flying. Yeah. And you know, that was to me, that was the better option. And I will never do that again. Dude. Anytime I see bus as an option, I look at the train instead, even though sometimes the train takes longer, it's way more comfortable. You know, you get a big chair. It's like riding first class and on a train. <laughs> Oh, I love traveling by train. It's great. And you get to look out the window at stuff. It's See, a good I like time. sleeping. I like sleeping when we travel. Well, you can sleep on a train mm. too. They have those like, if you do like those really long trips, they have the sleeper cabins. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's great. Um, all right, dude. Well, I think that covers a lot of stuff. Um, so thank you for coming thank on. Thank you for having me. Um, of course. Is there anything that you kind of want to shout out that people should hear or follow you or anything like that before we wrap Can up? Can I leak the entire new Ice Nine Kills album? Only if you sing it. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude. Well, thank you for coming on again. I appreciate it. And, and we'll talk Take soon. All right.
Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.